Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Remember that this podcast deals with adult themes, so if you don't have privacy, you might wish to put on your headphones. This week, I am talking about arousal non-concordance. What? Huh? I can hear you saying. Well, in simple terms, arousal non-concordance is when your genital response does not match your internal experience. For example, if you have a vagina, you're feeling really turned on, but you're not wet, you're not lubricating. Now, everyone experiences non-concordance at times, and it can be extremely confusing. The most upsetting examples of non-concordance are around rape and sexual assault. Many people experience orgasm during rape, and this can lead them to believe that somehow they wanted the rape or they enjoyed the rape. Sometimes worse than the self-blame is the blame heaped on them by others and the attitude of the criminal justice system when they're not aware that non-concordance is a normal response when sexual stimuli is present and that orgasm does not mean that there was desire, enjoyment, or consent. So sometimes orgasm is used by defense attorneys uh, to prove, in quotes, uh, that a woman actually consented, when in fact, again, non-concordance is, is normal, happens often, and the fact that she has a genital response doesn't prove anything. Dr. Emily Nagoski, who's a sex educator, discusses non-concordance in detail in her book, Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life. She gave a TED Talk at TED 2018 that covered this topic as well. And I just came back from there and heard the talk, thought it was fantastic, and decided that I needed to cover it, hence this podcast. She highlights that when sex research is done with men measuring penile response to determine arousal, which is common, um, in response to stimuli, and comparing it to subjective arousal reported by the man, that there's only about 50% concordance between the two. That means 50% of the time there is non-concordance. The man reports arousal, but his penis doesn't harden, or the man doesn't report subjective arousal but his penis is hard. So let's think about that for a minute. There's only a 50% overlap. So 50% of the time, the fact that his penis is hard 
is indicative of his arousal. 50% of the time, it's not. She reports that if you do the same experiment with a woman, there's only a 10% overlap. Now think about that for a second. Though a woman's genitals react to sexually re relevant stimuli, the overlap with a woman's subjective arousal is only 10%. So what does this actually mean? Something can be sexually relevant, but not something that a person would find is finding desirable. That's one of the things it can mean. So for example, bondage is sexually relevant, but Mark finds it tedious. So his body recognizes the fact that that's a sexual stimuli, but when he watches it or participates in it, he just doesn't find it enjoyable. Or images of anal sex are sexually relevant and cause Jerry to lubricate. But she actually finds the idea of anal sex repugnant. So again, her body recognizes that these images are of a sexual nature and her body responds. But subjectively, she really finds anal sex repugnant and would never engage in it. Now, one of the things this highlights is how important the brain is in female sexual response, and also how important context is in sexual response as well. Emily Nagoski talks about Ross Buck's framework to think about emotion that allows us to better understand non-concordance, because non-concordance doesn't just occur in relation to sex and sexuality and sexual response, it also occurs in relation to emotions. So emotion one is the involuntary physiological response. Your heart rate and blood pressure, pupil dilation, digestion, sweating, immune functioning, all of these things are part of an involuntary physiological response. Genital response also falls into this category. And my college friend who got wet when she, while she was bored, tied up and waiting for her partner to come back experienced this kind of response, but nothing else. Emily goes on to say, emotion two is involuntary expressive response to a feeling. This is body language or more accurately paralanguage, things like vocal inflection, posture, and facial expression, all the cues that we use to infer another person's internal state. A great dinner date will be full of emotion too, as you find yourself putting your hand on your date's arm, gazing into their eyes and smiling. These are often influenced by culture, but have a great deal of universality, and they can be intentionally controlled to some degree, but not as much as you might think. Did you choose the expression on your face right now? Emotion three is subjective experience of a feeling. If someone asks you how you feel and you check in with yourself to find the answer, what you are noticing is emotion three. This is subjective arousal, the conscious experience of, I want you so much I can hardly stand it, which may or may not be accompanied by genital response, emotion one, or eye contact, emotion two. So non-concordance is not only related to sex, it is related to all expression of emotion as well. 
Now, there are three myths related to non-concordance that Emily Nagoski highlights as being particularly dangerous. The first one is the most long-lasting and the most dangerous in some ways. And this is the myth that a general response means that someone is sexually aroused. This is true for both men and women. Men are more likely to experience this in the form of missing genital response, but feelings of sexual arousal, and then assume that they are not really aroused or there's something wrong with them. Men can experience a lack of erection at a time when they really want sex and not understand at all what is happening. Um, of course, during puberty, um, teenage, teenagers and young men have frequent um, unwanted or unexpected erections as well. Men will tend to go looking for a cause for their lack of an erection when it really is simply non-concordance. Why is this particularly dangerous? Because it encourages people to question their subjective feelings of arousal. When someone does this, they begin to question their judgment and may agree to do things that don't cause them pleasure and that they actually don't want to do. It's the myth that leads men to men telling women who say they don't want something or who are even saying a clear no that they are obviously aroused because they are wet. Genital response is a conditioned reflex. It's the body expecting activity because it's exposed to a sexually relevant stimuli. It does not suggest wanting. Genital response does not mean turned on. Subjective response is the only completely sure way to assess whether someone is turned on, and so you need to be talking with a partner or potential partner. Now, um, genital response can mean turned on when it's combined with subjective arousal, right? So that's the important bit to get, is that relying on it alone is to not really have any idea whether or not your partner is turned on. Myth number two is that genital response means that someone is enjoying something. And this is when it is suggested that a woman's genitals are giving the truth about what's really turning them on and that women are either in denial or out of touch with their bodies or lying or so repressed and not aware of their own deep desires. This myth is dangerous as it encourages men to push forward justifying this behavior by saying the woman is not aware of her own desires, suggesting that her genitals will highlight what is really true. The danger is obvious. If your genitals tell you the truth about arousal and you lubricate when being sexually assaulted or become erect when being sexually assaulted, then it means you wanted or enjoyed the, the assault. This could not be further from the truth. Since genitals only signpoint signpost that something is sexually relevant, not enjoyable or wanted. For example, there was research that has women and men reacting with genital response to movies of monkeys mating. Now, that may sound odd, but what they are reacting to is the idea that mating is a sexual act. 
So they note that mating is a sexual act, therefore there's a genital response. But I have to say that in 30 years of working with people, I haven't yet met someone who has a fetish about monkeys mating. So the chances are there's no wanting or enjoying there. It's a reaction that is as a result of understanding that a genital response means something is sexually relevant. It is a sexual stimuli. For women, the biggest part of arousal occurs in the mind. The evidence of this is, is the only 10% overlap between genital response and subjective arousal. For men, 50% overlap means that about 50% of arousal is in the mind. Now, when you think about this, it's tremendously important then to make sure that you are appealing to the mind, the woman's mind. That means context is more important for women than it is for men. Um, conversation can be more important for women than for men. Verbally setting the scene, taking your time, all of these things to encourage that mind response, that subjective response of arousal. Finally, the third myth is that non-concordance is a problem. That is to say, if your genital response is not matching with your subjective response, there must be a problem that needs treating. And of course, this is wholly untrue. There is a relationship between non-concordance and sexual dysfunction, but a relationship is not causation. None of the research suggests that there is in fact any causative relationship, so we don't know why there's a relationship. Non-concordance is normal and happens in a variety of situations over the lifespan, and it's not predictable. It's not something that needs to be treated as a dysfunction or disease and targeted for treatment. And in fact, when you do that, you make things worse because you increase the stress. And if you're talking about a woman, when stress increases, arousal tends to decrease. So the most important takeaways for all of this discussion for me is number one, to know if somebody's sexually aroused and enjoying what is happening, you have to listen to their words, not their genitals. And this really is why it's so important to gain verbal consent and not make assumptions that because somebody is responding genitally, that is consent to keep doing whatever it is that you are doing. And it's also why it's so important not to pressure somebody when their words and their genital response don't match. The bottom line is that the true response is that subjective feeling of arousal. And that is what you need to go by. Non-concordance is normal and common. The person who is non-concordant does not need to be fixed. They just need to be able to trust their own brains, their own subjective understanding of arousal, enjoyment, and wanting, and their partners need to listen to their words. This is incredibly important when we start talking about consent in more depth. So, again, if Mary 
is lubricating, but she's telling you she doesn't want to do this and she's not having fun. You need to listen to her words and stop. If Jeffrey has an erection, but is telling you that actually this is painful and not a lot of fun, you need to listen to his words and stop. Always go with the words as primary. That's the most important thing when we start talking about whether or not somebody has given consent. The fact that there's been a sexual, physically sexual response does not equal consent in any way, shape, or form. This week, I talked about arousal non-concordance. If this triggers you, or if anything in the show triggered you, or you have a comment to make, do email me at drbisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. That's D-R-B-I-S-B-E-Y at the-intimacy-coach.com. Thanks for joining me for Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Please write to me with suggestions for the show or any questions you want answered at drbisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. That's D-R-B-I-S-B-E-Y at the-intimacy-coach.com. Do follow me on Twitter and Instagram where I'm also at Dr. Bisbee and follow me on Facebook. Please check out my YouTube channel and my channel on Binge Networks. For a free 30-minute strategy session with me, head to https colon forward slash forward slash the-intimacy-coach.com forward slash and click the button that says click here on the contact page, which will take you directly to my schedule. If you enjoyed this show, please leave me a review on iTunes and or Stitcher um, and or Apple Podcast, wherever it is that you have been listening to the show. Reviews are really important to show makers and I would really appreciate more of them. You can leave a review anonymously. There's no problem with that. Just do leave a review. To encourage you to leave a review, if you do, you will receive a coupon for 15% off any of my services. So if you leave a review, you will receive a coupon for 15% off any of my services and a free ebook. I look forward to seeing you on the show next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.